Well, we've been on um, a couple series, you know, Wednesday nights have been about angels, uh, very fitting for Christmas time because of the focus on the uh, the manger scene. You'll see angels uh, in with the manger scene. Uh, you'll see many things that reference angels. But on Sundays, we've been in the series Xmas, fi- uh, Finding What is Lost. Uh, I'm not going to give much of a recap because I'm not even going to be able to finish this. I had to break this message into two. As I mentioned, I have borrowed this uh, series from uh, North Place Church in uh, Sachi, Texas. Uh, the, the pastoral staff used it last year. But I wanted us to really focus on Advent uh, instead of Christmas as a tradition, actually. We're not, a, we're not likely to start many traditions at New Song. We actually fight to keep from being too much about traditions. But Christmas has become so commercialized. It's become such about the stuff and, uh, you know... Um, a lot of other things. Advent is more the liturgical churches. So when you think about Episcopal or Lutheran, that's the churches that when they broke off, when it was irony of it that Luther, they kind of started the break off from the Catholic Church and the and and the big drive for the Protestant Church. But uh, they call it the liturgical churches because they are more structured in um, their services, more about more ritual. So you might have been in a service if you've been in a Lutheran church where they'll read a a passage of scripture and everybody repeats it. They'll read a few lines, everybody repeats it. Very structured service. There's sometimes a lot of standing, kneeling. So it was basically the idea that when they moved into the more Protestant type uh, church, they still felt that there's a lot from the Catholic church that was good, that brought reverence to the services. So, um, you know, I've been to some of those and, and they can be a very special service, but I'm glad we have the freedom and I will slow down talking. I want to get through the intro because I have a lot, but I, I am glad for our freedom and worship here that's not all structured but here is a little kicker to that sometimes we can get too relaxed right i'm not really required to do anything i just come and sit and listen you know when you when you're required to repeat scripture when you're required to pray together in unison a certain prayer you know yes you can just turn on autopilot and repeat the words that are being spoken to you but it, it forces you into some kind of participation in worship well Again, uh, we're, we're looking at Advent, um, which is more the liturgical churches look at that. But we looked in the first week uh, about the hope encouraged through Advent. Then last week we learned about the love and connection to the Advent story, the Christmas story. And so today is focused on joy, about finding joy. So I hope, you know, I, I'm not as eloquent as Brian Jarrett and his other staff. Some of you may wonder, CJ, it sounds like you just are too much about that church. You bring up a lot. We, we borrow a little few sermons from them. Um, you know, some of you may not realize that when we went, Jennifer and I went for six months through uh, the, the co- cohort they had, they called it, of young pastors. They pulled us in for a big ceremony at the end and named us as missionaries to the rural churches in America, all the 21 pastors and their wives there. Because everybody was under 40, 40 or under, pastoring churches under 300. And, and Brian Jarrett got his start as evangelist at age 16 in the small churches where the big churches never let him in the door. And then he grew to be a well-known evangelist and then uh, pastoring some large churches. So, so it's not that a lot of our sermons come directly from there. It's that as I've been mentored by them, uh, I, we have a kindred spirit, a kindred heart to where we both see our churches going. And so naturally, the natural progression sometimes is that we will line up exactly with with what is going on there. So they had also started last year with a focus on Advent. This quick summary I want to give you, though, uh, um, we, we're going to hit you at an angle today on a story that you well know. 
uh, Mary and Joseph. And there, every age person in here, including the kids, when I talk about Mary and Joseph and then Christmas is coming, um, that's a story that's been rehearsed in our minds. Uh, we've heard it over and over. Um, we at least heard it at one point. <coughs> we were, some of us raised on this story. It's about Joseph and Mary. Very common this time. There's a lot that is said about Joseph and Mary, but there's a lot in the story really that has, been, that has not been said a lot. And that's what we're going to focus on. So today we're going we're gonna to get halfway through this message. We're going to conclude it next week, but there are two clean, there's a very clean break in the middle where, where we're going to focus on some issues we have and losing our joy. So one thing about our Wednesday nights that tie in with Sunday now is there's one thing about angels. When God sends an angel to interact with somebody, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's generally life-changing. You know, if an angel, if you walk into the church, hey, pastor, I'm just going to go by the church and pray, and you walked into the church and the lights are off, you've got a few just to see, and you walk up, and let's just say you're walking up here to the altar, and all of a sudden you see some figure perched sitting on the altar right there. Would it not just make your heart stop? So I, I had, we had a problem with the internet yesterday, and I was trying to type my sermon. So after we had a, an event here at 4.30 that went till 9 or so, I stayed till about 10 or 10.30 to, to finish typing some notes. And uh, I kept hearing bumps in the church. And you know, we got that camera system. We got that monitor, and I hear bump, and I'd look. <laughs> I mean, what's that? You know, and, uh, or it sends a still shot of some movement out there, and it's, you know, a, it's like a moth going across the screen. But all of a sudden, those moths look like this big, you know, and they're glowing. They look like weird creatures. Um, you know, we think we're safe in the church, but when you're all alone, it's dark. If an angel of the Lord appeared to you, it, it would it'd bring some fear, I think, initially, wouldn't it? Um, so as I said before, Wednesday nights, if you have friends who are curious about supernatural, they're into kind of that stuff, but not God bring them uh tell them it's about angels that they'll be interested um we're going to look in the first chapter of the book of luke um god sends an angel to several people so if you want to turn in the book of luke the first chapter this is the angel gabriel who comes to to two different people in this first chapter the first time it's to a man by the name of zacharias and then the second time, a little girl named Mary. So we find Zacharias, he's a prophet who is now up in his years. He's, he's, he's sitting in the temple, or he's going to the temple. If you, uh, we're not going to take time to read through the whole passage today, but let me paraphrase a little. The idea is Zacharias works on the priest team. He's like on, not on the praise team, the priest team. Hillary talks about, you know, his, his group was on shift. And he's the incense guy. And so he goes into the temple. And so he's there to, to light the incense. And, and it also says that there happened to be a great multitude of people who were basically praising God, worshiping outside the temple at that time. So the stage is really set. Um, he's, he's the guy to go burn the incense before the Lord and the altar to go into the Holy Holy. He's got all these people uh, gathered outside worshiping. And um, he has a, a wife that is up in years too, Elizabeth. And uh, she has uh, been unable to have kids. She's barren. And all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, Zacharias! And he startled him. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm here to tell you that I am here to answer your prayers and your wife Elizabeth and you are going to have a child. And let me catch you up on who Elizabeth is. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. This is family to, to Mary. 
And so uh, we need to tie this together because it's very important, this tie together, that this is Mary's cousin. So the angel Gabriel goes to Zacharias and says, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a child. His name is going to be John. And he will be the forerunner and the cousin to the Messiah, Jesus. Zechariah looks at him and says, what? You know we're old. You know we are barren. We're medically unable to have children. And one side note, this, this is the one of the smartest men I've ever known. Because you notice he didn't say, we are old. He, or he says, we are old. He didn't say, she is old. Because it's really not him having the baby, is it? But he's pretty smart. He says, you know, there's a lot of men that would have just you know, said, you know, she's old. What are you thinking? But he says, we're old. And he says, uh, we're barren. And Gabriel looks at him and says, don't be afraid. You're going to have a child. So uh, Gabriel's reinforcing. I know you haven't been able to. You haven't been able to. I know you haven't been asking for this for years. And I'm going to be paraphrasing. If you guys try to follow me too directly on this sermon, uh, you might get lost. But, but in this, this complete up to about verse 38, we're going to look through that. But don't be afraid, he says. You'll be able to handle it. She'll be able to handle it. His name is going to be John. He's going to be the cousin to Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, it gets pretty descriptive here. He's not just telling him you're going to have a child. He's telling him who this child is going to be and what his role is already going to be. In the scripture, it talks about that, that the angel actually tells him, and he's going to have the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb. He's not going to be given the Holy Spirit afterwards, and he accepts you know, God as his his God, he's going to have the Holy Spirit from the womb. And so he's laying it all out for him. And you wonder a little bit about Zacharias because the angel says, I'm going to prove it to you. So, you know, really Zacharias says, how? It's not really he says, what? He's actually saying, how? I mean, she's old, she's barren, I'm old. You know, how? And so the angel says, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to close your mouth for nine months which a lot of wives would think that was the biggest blessing out of the whole pregnancy, right? His mouth was closed for nine months. All I had to do is point, get it. You can't say anything about it. Just take care of it. So he closes his mouth for nine months. Now, let me fast forward and let me segue into another story. So here's a man named Joseph, early to mid-20s, and a young girl, a, a young woman by that day's standard named Mary, but most scholars say she's between the age of 13 and 15. Whole different culture, right? Um, uh, Jordan, how old are you? Thirteen. So very likely, could Mary could have been your same age or just a few years older. And so, Danny's saying, "Be careful, Pastor. I know where this is going, and you need to keep those ideas away." I'm glad this bottle's up here, and not in his hand. All right. So. Um, She's a young woman. Um, they are in love, and they're soon to be married. They're in the middle of what they call uh, betrothal. They're betrothed, um, which for those that uh, are younger years, let me break that down for you, what betrothed is, some of you younger ones. That is the there's no way out time. That is the, this is the D-Day. The decision's been made. Parents, everybody's in planning stages. It's a done deal. You may be engaged, but there's no getting out of it. Um... So if you're a person who is maybe uh, has a fear of commitment, that would be the relationship purgatory time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but culturally at that time, it was, it was projected from society and culture that there was no way out at that point. So both of them, Mary, uh, Joseph and Mary, are honoring of God. Both are honoring of family. 
and both of them all honoring each other. In a nutshell, they're both extremely happy in life, and we know that God has uh, chosen Mary and Joseph because he is extremely pleased with them too. They also come from the line of David, which is very important. So there's a lot of, a lot of important things about Mary and Joseph. But they're in love. They made it public, which is the, the custom and betrothal ceremony. Uh, they're in a relationship that has no blame. There's been no physical contact, nothing, no kissy-kissy, no holding hands, none of that. It's all been on the up and up. Um, and when a couple is betrothed, that means they're no longer even around each other at this point. I guess they thought absent makes the heart, absence makes the heart go fonder, but they're not even around each other. So here's a systematic order if you need to understand how this worked. They find each other, and in those days, sometimes it was arranged, but uh, in this case, you know, they may find each other. Um, the parents help to, uh, to make that meeting. Uh, here's someone maybe you'd like. Here's someone that we feel you'd like. Um, but then their emotions become involved. Their minds become involved. Their desires become involved. They become engaged, and they begin to imagine life together. They begin to imagine what it would be like to share the rest of their lives together. When I decided in my heart that I was going to marry Jen, um, I began to imagine what that life was going to be like. You know, um, you begin to think um, how, how you're going to provide, what kind of husband you're going to be. And, and, and girls even more so, I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine Jen began to imagine what, how am I going to survive with this man for all my life? But... Um, they begin to picture that, and that's what happens um, is we begin to picture that. Uh, so they've not been physically intimate. There's no touching. There's no seeing each other. There's no talking. There's no anything at that point. Boys, there was no kissing. You know, that part of the movie when you have to go and stick your head in between the couch uh, cushions. So Joseph, Mary, and their relationship all of a sudden find themselves at the height of an incredibly stressful situation. Filled with possible scrutiny, gossip, emotional turmoil, ridicule, abandon, ridicule, abandonment, all kinds of horrible things. Just socially, this is the worst thing for them. And neither one of them asked for it. So what's about to happen to this couple? Well, what's about to happen is so great, it's so scandalous, it's so crazy, that God, who hasn't performed a miracle in 500 years. Now keep in mind, we sometimes think God is silent. But this is a people who their ancestors, the, their forefathers, had seen great and mighty miracles of God, but for 500 years he's performed no miracle. In fact, there was no record of him actually speaking directly to anybody where he had. In a sense, this could be almost like a spiritual dark ages for them. Not that God wasn't still active, that God was not still alive, but he had not proven himself to his people 500 years. So, so it's almost like God did that on purpose for this one event because you think about it. When God was putting the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, guiding the people of uh, Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh, all, those, all this history, all this stuff that's happened for them, miracles, do you think it would have been that hard for Mary to just tell people, hey, I, I'm conceiving by the Holy Spirit. I'm still pure, but I'm having a baby. Do you think that that would have been that far of a stretch? No, but this is a 500-year dead silence. So God sends an angel, angel Gabriel, in fact, ahead of this time to perform a pre-miracle before the miracle. And we're back to talking about Zacharias and Elizabeth. Her being barren and having a baby, the baby named John, who is going to be John the Baptist, who's a forerunner of Jesus. So this is the pre-miracle before the miracle. 
So you with me on this? Are we all together? Okay. So he tells Zacharias, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child, and they think that's impossible, but we know nothing's impossible with God. God also says, I'm going to go over here and Elizabeth's cousin Mary, let her know that she is going to have a baby as well. And so it's scandalous, it's crazy, but literally Elizabeth is six months pregnant when Mary conceives. But there's something that happens regarding Zacharias and his answer that we really didn't, that we really glanced over. When Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby, and he says, how? We're barren and we're elderly. Gabriel repeats it. He has repeated a second time. Zacharias and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. His name will be John, and he will be the cousin of Mary's baby. So then Zacharias, out of his doubt, out of his questioning God, gets his mouth shut. And then next we find Mary, all of a sudden, she is visited by the angel Gabriel. So in Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, six months after Elizabeth, her cousin, had become pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, and the angel went to a virgin, promised in marriage to a descendant of David named Joseph. And that uh, a girl's name was Mary. And in verse number 28, when the angel entered her home, he greeted her and said, you are favored by the Lord. What an awesome introduction. You're favored by the Lord. The Lord is with you. And she was startled by what the angel said. Not what she saw, but what he said. It's a little different. Zacharias was a little startled by just the sight of the angel. Mary wasn't so startled by the sight, but what the angel said. Now I'm trying to figure out what this greeting meant. The angel told her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And then just like he did with Zacharias, he begins to recount again what he just told her. He's having to repeat again. And, and this time he's going to be a little more descriptive. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Let me explain it to you again. You will become pregnant and his name will be Jesus. He will be a great man. I'm wondering at this time and I'm wondering, I'm speculating at this time if Gabriel senses the hesitation of Mary, and that's why I'm wondering, um, you know, he's, he's like, hey, Mary, you know, I know you're 13. Um, here's what's going to happen. Lucky you. The Lord has found favor on you, and now you're going to be pregnant, and it's going to be the Messiah. And don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. And that's an odd affirmation that you're following the Lord, isn't it? That's an odd way for that angel to enter the room. That's an odd greeting. So the sight of Gabriel didn't scare her. It's the words that Gabriel said that scared her. So he brings it to her over and over again. Uh, he keeps having to tell her. And Mary asks Angel, how? See, first Zachariah says how. Now Mary says how. But there's a difference in the response to their how. It's two times Angel Gabriel has visited someone with incredible news, only to be shown appreciation with a question of how. I wonder how many times God has changed our lives for the better. He's given us a word. He's given us, uh, uh, he's sent us an angel uh, directing our path, saving us from something, uh, give us a dream, offer us salvation, possibly even fill us with the Holy Spirit, only to have us show him our appreciation with the question, how? Which in return begs the statement, we either trust God or we don't. In reality, we either trust him or we don't. But there's a difference in how, the, how that question, how, came, what was behind it. 
There's two things that we as believers are incredibly good at. It's asking God how and asking God when. It's like the little kids in the back seat on a trip. Okay, how long are we going to be doing this? When are we getting there, right? How long are we going to be in the car? When are we getting there? God, how is this even possible? God, you said this to me. You promised me that. You spoke to my soul and said the impossible would would be possible. I'm clinging to it, God. I'm hanging in there. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to trust you. But but what's going to happen? How's it going to happen? When? You didn't tell me how you're going to do it, Lord. You didn't tell me when you're going to do it. And I'm looking for anything. Throw me a bone, God. Just tell me when you're going to do this thing in my life that you told me you'll do. Well, if we go back to Zacharias real quick, I'm trying to figure out why the angel muted his mouth. I mean, Mary asked how. Didn't mute, it, didn't mute her. Zacharias was muted. I think there might be a little bit to look into his occupation. Maybe the things that might be a weakness for him. He's a prophet. He was a priest. He, he did the incense. He was a spiritual leader. He is one that the people that, uh, you know, as a prophet, you're speaking all the time. And when you speak on God's behalf, you're always right. He got used to because of the power of God and using him, he was known as someone that you could, his word was his bond. You could trust anything he said. But he's always speaking to people. Usually prophecy is a lot of times about God's wrath coming. Sometimes it's about something good, but it's about a future for somebody else. This is hitting him at home. In his old age, him and his wife Elizabeth, who had given up on children, now having a child that has a big role to play. They've got a huge responsibility. Their child is going to be their forerunner for the Messiah that's going to deliver their people. This is age old told the Messiah is going to come. People are waiting. That's what they're at the temple praying for. All the people worshiping out there, when he sees angel, guess what they're worshiping for? Send the Messiah. We're tired of all this uh, occupation, this rule by, by, these other go- by the Romans. We're, we're tired of all this oppression. We're tired of the, the tough life we have. We know that prophecy says the Messiah is going to come and set up his kingdom. But they're thinking, oh, they're praying for it. And so Zacharias now realized in his old age, you've got to get a second win, brother, because you don't have just that job of going in and lighting the incense. It's like, well, I'm the holy guy, and I can... Get words from God and give it to him. Now you're going to be raising the forerunner to the Messiah. So stick with me on this. When the angel of God came to Zacharias, I think about the way I am. Think about CJ, the way I operate. Maybe you can relate in some way. But I can think of countless times in my life when I have gotten really excited about something God has told me. Or I feel certain in my heart he's told me something's going to happen. Something's going to happen or he's going to use me in some great way. Something big's going to happen. And I don't stop to wait and find out when and how. I may ask that. Sometimes I ask it in the wrong way. I question God. Yeah, right, God. How? Sometimes I get too overzealous and I start just jumping out there and thinking, okay, now i got to make this happen. God told me it's going to happen. i got to make it happen. I've mentioned this a lot of times with the Hispanic church. When I first became pastor five years ago, God said, you're going to have a, you're going to start Hispanic work and it's going to grow and it's going to be a part of your heritage and a, a part of new songs heritage. And it's going to be a fulfillment of, of something in your life as well as new songs. And I just told the church board at that time, the advisor team, Hey guys, I handed out these papers at one of our first meetings and said, here's kind of the plan. Pretty soon we're going to start a Spanish speaking service, right? 
Four years later, it happens. You know, I'm sure some of them thought, I thought you said we're doing this. When are we doing this? What's going on with it? Well, what happens a lot of times is I start thinking about what God told me, and I keep repeating it over and over in my head. And, and it's kind of like how Gabriel kept having to repeat it to Mary and repeat it to Zacharias. Pretty soon, I've got my own narrative going. I start adding stuff to it. Okay, well, God wants me to, to be priest of my home and have a good family, so, so I've got to do this and this and this. I've got I've to have this certain job or I've got to do this certain thing, and I start working so hard to fulfill God's, God's vision he gave me for him. And I start putting, putting all my effort into doing it for God instead of waiting on God's timing. And I work so hard, I start losing my joy in it. And that's what started happening in ministry for me too. I'm working so hard to do what God told me he was going to do that now I'm kind of burnt out and worn out. And then I kind of get grumpy and I start griping. And I don't want to be grumpy. I don't want to gripe. I don't like that when other people do it. I don't want to do that. And I started really relating to Zacharias here because this is a guy that God has called. Guess what his main occupation, his main tool of ministry is? His mouth. He is a prophet for God. His main tool is to speak truth to the people. And he's also supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. You've got to keep a good straight life to do that or they'll be dead. Tie a rope around your leg with a bell. And when it stops ringing, oh, God must have struck you dead because you went in unworthy. So they pull him out, their body out. That was typical of what would happen. So you've got a guy who's always walking straight and narrow for God. He's always speaking the truth. God hits him a big whammy of now you're going to be raising this child your old age that's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And I think God struck him uh, to where he couldn't speak. The angel made that way because he would probably have sunk himself with the people in that one. He had been trying so hard to make everything perfect because of the way he was seen. I see that in ourselves sometimes. We, God's given us a task or he's put something in our heart to do. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's just witnessing to people in your family or in your workplace. But whatever it is, God's given you kind of a drive and a vision or whatever. And we ruin it because we get so worried about the how and when. And we keep questioning God. Not, not asking simple questions like, God, okay, what do you want me to do now? It's like, God, I don't know how you're going to do that. I'm old or I can't speak or I can't do this. I can't do that. How are you going to do this? And we question God. And I think God, in this case, Mary was questioning just how, like in amazement, but sure. And we'll get into next week Mary's response that proves where her heart was at when she asked how. But Zacharias, in the way he asked how, he has to be shut up for nine months. So it's completely speculative. I can't directly pull that from Scripture, but just living life in ministry, I think that's why Zacharias was shut up. It's because he'd get himself in trouble. He did great, I'm sure, as a prophet, speaking on God's behalf when God gave him the words. But he had such a big thing God dropped on him. Elizabeth, his wife, it says, the way it says it, it's kind of like because she was shamed in pu- public by not being able to have children, she actually hid out for a good part of the pre- pregnancy kept it quiet i don't know why you'd think she'd want to say hey look you guys are all wrong about me god gave me a baby <laughs> you know especially maybe to any other barren ladies like oop i'm not as bad as you think i am you know but she didn't see god was doing something different with uh, it was it was all about john the baptist coming on the scene and it even says that he until he made his public appearance he was in the wilderness after he was born they kept john in the wilderness until it was time for his public appearance. You see, sometimes God is trying to do something great in your life. 
And he trusts you enough that he downloads it to you. You don't hear an audible voice, but he starts prompting your heart, I want to do this in your life. I want to piece together that broken relationship. I want to turn it from, from ashes to beauty. I want to do something in your life. I want to call you into ministry. I want to push you further. I want to grow you up out of your struggles. I want to do all this. And then all of a sudden, we start playing it over and over, and we start kind of getting our own narrative. You know, God told me this, so that means this. Oh, that means I probably need to have this job because that would help pay for that ministry. Or I need to do this because that would help bring that relationship together. And we start working. And, you know, I've seen this. It's kind of like what we talk missionary dating. God says he wants to restore uh, a broken relationship where there's someone who is an unbeliever. And that person, like, decides, okay, now I'm the evangelist. I'm going to lead them to the Lord. But they're the ones that are romantically involved. And God's saying, no, no, I'm going to put other people on the path. I'm going to bring you together, but I'm going to do it my own way. But we mess it up because we start jumping in there and, and pushing, and we, we get this own narrative, and we start repeating it to others, and then it becomes our truth and our reality. We've taken what God spoke to us, and we add to it, and now it becomes something else. And so we have to be careful when God speaks something, when he especially sends an angel to, to Zacharias and gives him this download of this big information. But Zacharias at the very get-go begins to question God, not ask a question, which is no problem for God, but questioning God's ability to do it. I think God says, oh, you, you do fine when you're ministering to other people, but apparently when it comes to you, I've got to keep you quiet. So... I know for myself that I can see that happening in my own life. God gives us a dream. A month goes by. Another month goes by. It's not happening. Another month goes by. I'm still here, God. I'm waiting for you to do it. And sometimes I feel like he hasn't shut my mouth, but he shuts my ears. It's like God goes silent. He tells me he's going to do something, and then all of a sudden it's silence. Because I can't seem to hear him anymore. I get frustrated. I internalize everything like crazy and it spins in my head and I just become impatient. I let my imagination and my desires, my hopes, I, I turn it into what I want it to be. You know, I didn't get married until I was 30, about to turn 31. We were married in August and I turned 31 in November. That wasn't what I imagined when God spoke to me at a young age, when other guys were, were dreaming about their careers and all that, when I was maybe not much older than my boys, I started wanting to be a great dad and a great father and a great husband. That was, that was my goal in life, above all else. I wanted God to make me the best dad and father. I had great examples before me, and I, I wanted to carry that on. And so... You would think, well, that guy, he's going to get married at 16 to the perfect one. They're going to go into my ministry and they're just going to be the greatest young couple ever. And, and no, I, I started making that narrative my own. I started putting it on my own time schedule. I started spinning it over on my head and, and then I started dating way more than I needed to. And I prolonged it and I prolonged it. You know, the children of Israel weren't supposed to wander in the wilderness 40 years. I think it was three so you have to be careful when God gives you something. So, to be honest, there are times in my life when I feel like he has closed my ears because he hasn't spoken to me. Uh, he's given me the preliminary instructions, the message, the dream, the vision, the direction, and he's quiet and I don't hear anything. And that's just the reality of life as a servant of God. We are here to hear from God 
to commune with God, but we aren't here to make God's plans happen for him. He will, he will move us when we need to move. He will enact as people when he needs to enact them to accomplish his will. We just have to be surrendered and always willing to do things at the drop of the hat when God asks, but not to try to go before him and do it ahead of him. So it's not a question to God, a question to God that gets us in trouble. It wasn't Zacharias saying how. It wasn't that Mary said how. It was, uh, it was what was behind it. It was the heart behind it. Um, we were allowed to ask questions of God. We just shouldn't question God. There's a big difference. You get that? There's a difference between asking God a question and then questioning him. Questioning him. It's, like, it's like asking uh, your kids, hey, boys, who left the door open? Or Caleb, who left the door open. Caleb, who left the door open, right? There's a difference between asking a question of God and questioning God. It's a matter of the heart. It's about putting, trying to put the, the stick to God and say, poking God and saying, God, I need to know. You know, how is this? You're, you're worrying me with what you're telling me I'm going to do. Zacharias, hey, I'm old. She's old. I don't have energy. I barely have energy to go to the temple and do my thing. And, you know, we could have had this child a long time ago. How, God? More like he's saying not how, but, but why are you doing this to me? And, you know, it says great things about Zacharias and Elizabeth. That God just, they were just exceptional in God's sight, but... It's often not how you're going to do that in an honest question, not doubting it will happen. It's the unsaid questions behind the tone and the attitude. Come on, God, you know I don't have the resources for that. You know I don't have the money to do that ministry. You know I don't have what I need for that. God, you know I'm not equipped for that. You know I don't even like doing that. God, I was raised in a dysfunctional home. If you saw how I was treated as a kid, God, if you saw this, if you saw that, God, if you only knew how badly I mess up all the time, can't possibly want to do that in my life. Don't you think he gets that? It's not the question to God. It's the questioning. Maybe you're in here today and God's been trying to speak to you. He's given you a dream or he's trying to give you a dream. And he's trying to use you in a big way, but all you think about is the how and when. And it's not allowing your heart to be in the right place to move forward. You're spinning your wheels thinking it's someone else or someone else is holding you back or something else is holding you back. You just keep spinning your wheels. It's like God is silent or has silenced you and no one can hear you. It's like you have no influence and no power behind the vision, the dream, the revelation God's given you. What he's given you, you think that should motivate people. I should be able to tell people about God, what God wants to do in my life and it should make them just want to follow along and support it and help me. And it's gone long enough, you lost all joy in serving the Lord. Now it's just about accomplishing a task. Now you just got to get it done because God's told you and you feel this responsibility. You feel this guilt like you've just got to do it now because God's dropped it on you. But maybe it's not the questions you're asking God, but the heart and the attitude, the motivation behind them. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's pride, low confidence. But all of those, unfortunately, are evidence that that we just have a lack of trust in God. Maybe we lost our joy from a lack of trust in God. And I can I can't see how it it, it how it how and, and when it's gonna happen yet yet you've got to trust him without the details. Danny if you'd come to the piano for a moment 
the next part of this, there's a different um, aspect that we'll see in the, in the rest of the narrative. And I'm going to challenge you to be here next week as we, we finish it up because you really need both parts. You really need to put both parts together. But there's definitely a point in this story where I said, God's trying to tell us two things in this. And the first thing we're handling today, and that is some of us are, are questioning God. And, and we've done it to the point where it, it's not necessarily that it's ruined the dream or the vision he's given us or what he wants to do in our life, but it's just sucked the joy right out of it. You know, I, I'll give you a little bit of taste next week, but we'll get into this. But Mary, 13 to 15 years old, is told the greatest news in all history that you are going to bear the Son of God as your child. He's the very one that saved my soul as I stand here today in 2016. And little Mary was the one who cuddled him, who nursed him, who raised him. Greatest news. But it came at a cost because her and Joseph were betrothed, which was basically the only way to get out of that is actually a formal divorce. It's kind of different than today. The marriage hadn't happened, but that's the way. It was a lot of shame. A lot of bad stuff could happen. A lot of assumptions would be made, possibly put to death if they took it too far and, and, and thought she had done something wrong. You see, we we got to realize when God speaks something to your heart so special like that, in this case, sending the angel Gabriel, you got to trust him enough to not worry about the details to come after. Just thank you, God. And I can't wait till you make, bring the next step. I can't wait till you take me the next distance. I'm going to wait on you like Elizabeth. I'm going to hide out during this pregnancy and just savor the fact that I'm bearing the forerunner. And I don't want to spoil too much for the next one, but the coolest thing in all of this narrative to me, one of the coolest things is that when Mary and Elizabeth go see each other and, and they're both with child, that Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaps in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she tells Mary, you're blessed among women. You're blessed among women because who you have inside of you is holy. God is trying to do something in your life that is holy. It is special. It is beyond what you see at work. It is not you uh, at the... At the fryers, if you're working in a kitchen, it's not you under a truck if you're a mechanic. It's not, it's not that. He may use those things, but you got to understand in the spiritual realm, God has done something inside you. He is birthing something inside you, and the Holy Spirit is moving, and it is far greater than anything you see in the natural. You just got to be willing to let Him take care of the details. Rest in Him and say, I'll step when you say step, but I'm not going to let the enemy take my joy by worrying about it by making this ministry, by making this vision a burden. Because God's not doing that. The enemy's causing you to make it a burden. Whatever you spoke in your heart, just, just let the joy come along with it. Man, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. God, this church building, this church, God, is for the strengthening of the saints, but God, it's for the discipleship also that's to take place. And God, you know my heart. I want to see folks raised up, called to ministry. Lord, we don't worry about numbers here. God, it's a blessing when you grow and increase, but we hope to also be sending those out, Lord, to 
to different ministries. Some may take them away from us, Lord, but we, we know that it's an offering to you. But Lord, I, I know the enemy, how he works in my life, how he has. Try to steal the joy from the, that calling or that vision or that, that thing that you've given them, that special thing. Lord, maybe it's been decades past and it's just now feels covered over and lost. But God, those things that you speak, they're never lost. Some may need to discover once again what you birthed in their heart decades ago. Some may need to just simply stop worrying and fretting and doubting and questioning you and let it suck the joy right out of the news you brought to them. Right now, as we pray and humble our hearts before you, God, I pray that this week, those that this message you have designed for, God, that they'll let it bury in their hearts, they'll let it begin to just saturate them, God, that they'll, they'll begin to devour it, Lord. And, and as you begin to speak over and over again to their heart, as the angel Gabriel had to repeat over and over, God, you keep speaking those things to their hearts, Lord, that, that their ears be open, they realize that you're not silent, God, that you're speaking, let their ears be open. God, those that feel like their mouth has been shut, because you trust them with something, God, and they've not had the discipline to be able to, to, to carry that, Lord, without messing it up with uh, the things we say or with our mouth. God, I pray right now that you'd, you'd prove to them. Lord, as we'll see, God, Zacharias, at the moment where they question why they would name John the Baptist John, why not name him after the Father? And he couldn't speak. They gave him a tablet, and he writes the name John. And instantly, he's able to speak and becomes, begin, begins to praise you. Lord, let the mouths be opened. Lord, let the hearts be set free. Let the joy return, Lord, to their calling, to their vision, to their dream that you've given them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.